You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Before I get started this morning, I want to share you guys uh, a story. When I was 12 years old, uh, my folks split in a divorce that was a bit messy. And uh, in the fallout of the divorce, my dad moved in. Uh, with his sister and his sister, my aunt Kelly, and his and her her husband, uh, my uncle Fred, and uh, so every other weekend we would visit with my dad during that season. It was just a few months that he was living there, and when we would gather there on those weekends, uh, that was when I was really first exposed uh, to anything uh, that really looked like Christianity in the home, and uh, because my uncle Fred was a youth minister at a little Bible church, and uh, I didn't I wasn't a believer at the time. Um, but when we would go there, uh, something that stood out to me was that every evening uh, he would gather his five children and me and my three siblings, so nine children all together, around his couch in his little living room, and he would lead us through his nightly devotional time with the family. And uh, in that, he would let each of the kids kind of pick a favorite song to sing, and whatever song got two votes is the song that got sung, and then we'd sing that all together, and then he'd open the Bible and read one or two chapters. And by the time he was done reading the Bible, half the kids were asleep, and the other half were listening at attention, and then he'd send everybody off to bed, and that was kind of how it worked. Now, given what was going on in my life and my family at that time, uh, I was really attracted to that sight, right, to this, uh, this idea of the gathered family uh, and, and, and the, the joy that was on their faces and the togetherness so that for whatever their sin was and for whatever was broken in their family, I got a peek into something stable, which was something that I needed at that time in my life. Now, because my uncle Fred was reading out of the King James Bible, and I'm not King James, I did not understand anything that he was saying, but I will say that there was something about what was happening there that was appealing to me. Um, and so then, fast forward a few years, and as I become an older teen, I can drive, I start taking myself to a church. My life had been marked by more inward chaos and turmoil, and I was looking for something, and I find, myself, I find my way to a church uh, looking for, for something, and when I walk in there, I start hearing the Bible preached for the first time, I start communing with other teenagers that are Christians, and again, I see something in their community that I'm attracted to, something in the way that they relate to one another that was different than the way that I was relating with my peers, something different in the way that they were communicating with each other, the openness that they had with sharing stuff that was going on in their lives that was attractive to me. And so what I did is I learned how to look like that because I wanted into that community. I, wa I knew I wanted that, but I, I didn't know anything about the God that had made that true for them, right? So I just wanted to kind of look like them. So I started wearing the jersey. I, I knew how to walk the walk, I knew how to talk the talk, and I just wanted to kind of fit into this community so I could have what they had. But what I didn't understand is that what they had was a person, Jesus Christ. And so I became good at saying little pithy things, showing up to the Bible studies. I could, I could say something that sounded profound, and, and, and somehow the only one who kind of knew that I didn't fit here was me. And it wasn't until some time later that the Lord would baptize me in the Holy Spirit and I would be born again and that, and that the scales would be lifted and, and I would be adopted as a son of God. But I share that story to say with you, that to, to, sh to share with you that I know firsthand that it is very possible to walk like a Christian, to talk like a Christian, uh, to, to wear the jersey and have nothing have actually changed within you because I walked that life. I, I know all about it. 
And what we are going to be introduced to this morning is a portrait of two sons. Paul's going to introduce us to a portrait of two different sons. One of them, each of them brand, wearing the brand of son of Abraham, but only one of the two sons actually a son of God. Two sons of Abraham, but only one of them a son of God. Now, in my story, uh, so, so sometime later when I was 20 years old, uh, when, I was, when I could say I was truly converted, I flew home. I happened to be in Fort Myers Beach at the time. I flew home. I, I bought a, a study Bible. I brought it to work. I read it in three months. I was just dying to know this God that I had met. And I thought to call my Uncle Fred. I hadn't spoken with him in almost 10 years. Um, another fallout from the disunity. And he picked up and I told him, Uncle Fred, I've encountered a God, and the only reason why I know which God I've encountered is because I felt the way that you looked when you were leading, leading your kids through the scriptures when I was a kid. And he just breaks down into, into tears, and he says, Adam, I've been praying for you for eight years that, uh, that you would meet that God, and I've, I think I've always known that you would. And we just had an incredible incredible moment there. And so part of my ambition this morning is that if there is even one person in the room this morning who's been kind of hanging out among Christians and learning how to walk like one, how to talk like one, but who inwardly has never experienced the person of Christianity, that you would meet him this morning. And for the rest of you who are sons, that you would walk in that sonship and continue to say no to the old shackles of slavery. Let's look at the word. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul wrote, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. That takes us to verse 23. And so the first thing that Paul does here, to give you just the backstory for those of you who are trying to track with the letter, is that Paul is writing to his friends in the churches in the, in the region of Galatia. This was an area of, of Asia Minor where he had planted several churches early in his ministry, a place that the Romans co simply called like the region of Galatia. And, and what had happened is after he had planted them by preaching the gospel of justification by faith alone, preaching a message to them that says that you can become children of God, and the only way to become children of God is through faith alone and Christ alone, according to the grace of our God alone. This is the message that he preached. Well, right behind him, after he left that area, was a, a band of people called the Judaizers, and they came up out of Jerusalem preaching a subversive message to that gospel message, a false gospel, telling these new believers, guys, actually, there's something more that you need to do. There's something more that you need to do. See, the Judaizers, this band from Jerusalem, they prided themselves on being sons of Abraham. And they were testifying to the Galatians that the promises of God were for the sons of Abraham only. So to receive the promises of God, you had to become a son of Abraham. And to become a son of Abraham, you had to become a Jew. And to become a Jew, you had to bear the mark of the Jews, which is to become circumcised. And then you had to come under their laws and customs. And so they said, listen, what Paul preached was great. That's all fine. But for the promises of God to land on you, you've got to become a son of Abraham like us. You need to accept circumcision and the law. Now, eight times in the book of Galatians, Paul is going to bring up Abraham. 
and, there, and Paul doesn't do anything for no reason. My thought is that he's talking about Abraham so much in this book because the Galatians are talking about Abraham so much because the Judaizers are talking about Abraham so much. He says, okay, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham must have become like a hero to the Galatians. They said, listen, like, we understand to become sons of God. We've got to become sons of Abraham. And, they, and, the, and the Judaizers have told us how. And so we know, because Paul has already talked about it a good bit, that we become the sons of Abraham by faith. But he wants to make it obvious why, why it is possible that two types of people can claim to be sons of Abraham, but only one of them can actually claim to be a son of God. Now, this is not a new thing for Paul. This actually happened in Jesus's earthly ministry as well. You guys might remember it when we were preaching through the book of John. This was like a, a million years ago, but we were in John chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus runs into this problem. He meets a band of people who he's preaching the gospel to concerning himself, and, and we see that there are a whole band of people that existed even then who had all their pride heaped in their status as a son of Abraham while they were looking at God himself in the flesh and rejecting him. I'm going to read that over you. John chapter 8, verse 31, it goes like this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So you hear it, different fathers. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you have a demon, that you're a Samaritan, you have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Amen. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. 
It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom, I, of whom you say, he's our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. See, in this, in this account in the gospel, Jesus came up to a group of people who said, we belong to God. We're sons of God. We're the sons of Abraham, and the sons of Abraham are the sons of God. And Jesus Christ, the son of God, is standing right in front of them, and he's saying, you don't know my father. You don't know my father. In fact, you're not even really sons of Abraham because the sons of Abraham would be doing the things that Abraham did. Well, what did Abraham do? Well, Abraham believed God. And here I am speaking in front of you and, and telling you the truth, and you don't believe me. You are not your, of your father at all. So you can claim to be of the lineage of Abraham. You can claim to have put on his jersey by accepting circumcision. You can have put yourself under the law, give it at Sinai, and you can still, in the way that matters, not be a son of Abraham because you have not become his son by faith. And if you have not been united with Abraham by faith, you've certainly not been united with the Father by faith. So this is not new. Jesus ran into this crowd, the Galatians have run into this crowd, and now Paul is contending with this crowd in chapter 4 of the Galatians. And Paul is saying, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's do it. Let's do it. He cracks open the book of Genesis, and he starts to recount the story of Abraham. <clears throat> in verse 21, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He says, you want to quote the book? Let's open the book. Verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so first he, he, he just gives them the history, what exactly happened. And if you guys want to go read this after church, you can find it in Genesis, maybe start in chapter 17 and read on for several chapters, and you'll get the idea. But I'll summarize it for you. God comes to Abraham, and he speaks a promise over him. He tells him, Abraham, through you, I'm, I'm going to have you father a great multitude, a great nation, and through this, these children that will outnumber the stars, the whole world is going to be blessed. And Paul has already told us in Galatians that what, what the father was doing was preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And so he says to Abraham, listen, this, through, you, through you, I'm going to pattern a line through which the whole world is going to be blessed. You're going to father a great nation. You're going to come into a land of, of blessing, and you're going to be under my blessing. And, and, and this, is, this is incredible, and Abraham believes him, but Abraham is 80 years old, and his wife Sarah is well past the age of childbearing. And years go by, and no heir is born. And so doubt starts to creep in. And Sarah thinks to herself that wicked thought, which many of us often think, that maybe God helps those who help themselves. And she says to Abraham, why don't you take for yourself my slave girl, Hagar? She's still of childbearing years and produce an offspring through her that she might bear a child for us that these promises of God might fall on him. And so Abraham complies and he fathers a child through the slave girl, Hagar, and this is the boy, 
Ishmael. Then 14 years later, God visits, God sends a messenger to visit Sarah, and he brings the news that the Lord God is going to open her womb and bring forth this child of promise. And she laughs and says, now that I am old and the way of women has departed from me, now you will call me blessed? And the angel says, yep. And so he opens up the womb for Sarah, and at 90 years old, she brings forth the child of promise. This is the boy Isaac. And so we have two boys, each of them able to call Abraham their father, Ishmael and Isaac. But they come from two different mothers. One calls Hagar, the slave girl, mother, and one calls Sarah, the free woman of promise, mother. Now, under the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the law, Ishmael, being born of a slave girl, would himself have been regarded as a slave. Isaac, being born of the free woman, would have been considered the firstborn rightful heir. And so we have two sons, both calling Abraham father, but on account of who they call mother and the nature by which they were brought into the world, they live in two very different realities. One a slave, one free, one an heir, one promised nothing. And two branches are formed here. Paul's going to get there when he gets to the allegory part, but two lines are produced in this moment. Two types of sons of Abraham. You've got the branch of slavery formed in Hagar and Ishmael, and you've got the branch of children of freedom that are formed in Isaac and in Sarah. This first branch built around Hagar is built around a slave woman who produces a slave child, and this child was produced, well, as Paul says, according to the flesh, through the natural course of procreation. Uh, Abraham selects for himself this, this childbearing aged woman and produces a child according to the flesh. But according to the flesh also means according to the corruption of the flesh, meaning that what Abraham and Sarah were trying to do there was to seize the promise from God for themselves. He was born in sin as a product of sinful deeds, sinful actions. Whereas Isaac was born, Paul writes, according to the promise, the promise of God, that it was by the miraculous work of the Spirit to open Sarah's womb after the age of childbearing according to the promise given by God that by no act of man is this child brought forth, this heir of a promise, Isaac. And so two women, two sons born by two different means and two branches are created, one of slavery and one of freedom. We're going to come back to those branches in a moment once we look back at the passage allegorically the way that Paul does. Paul then moves on there in verse 24 that this history that I've just recounted may be interpreted allegorically. Now when he says that it can be interpreted allegorically, what he means is we can look at the way that the Lord worked in this instance, to understand how the Lord works all the time. So let's, let's understand this together. These women are two covenants, Paul says. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So now he says, allegorically, what we want to do is take these women, Hagar and Sarah, and understand what they represent. And he says of Hagar that she represents a people who is a, a slave woman who is bearing children for slavery. And this is at Mount Sinai. She was the perfect 
character for this allegory that Paul was setting up in the Spirit. What he's saying is that this, this woman, who's in reality, in history, her children, the Ishmaelites, would go on to occupy the Sinai Peninsula. And so it's, it's a perfect setup. He says, these people, they represent the covenant given at Sinai. And so going back to that branch, that slavery branch that we were talking about, founded by Hagar, the slave woman, through the child Ishmael, the slave boy, born according to the flesh, they are brought underneath the Sinai covenant, the covenant of the law, which includes a works principle. And so he says, he says, when you look at Sinai, when you think about the law, you who would put yourself under the law, to stay in Galatians, you who would put yourself under the law, you are tying yourself to the covenant of the law. And the covenant of the law is represented by Hagar, the slave woman. It says, you who would put yourself under the law would put yourself under, under allegiance to the covenant of the law, which is the, in the head of that covenant was a slave bearing children for slavery. And he says that those people who do that are the present Jerusalem. And the people he calls the present Jerusalem, is, he means the Jews in his day. And this is significant because remember the Judaizers had come into Galatia from Jerusalem. And he says, those people coming to you from present Jerusalem? Oh, well those are, those children, those are the legalists. Those are the ones who are in chains. Those are the ones who were born of slavery. But we, he says, at the end there, verse 26, are from the Jerusalem above, and the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So comparing to Hagar, he pulls out Sarah, and she says, oh, Sarah, she is the mother of the other covenant, of the Jerusalem above. And I love that he doesn't say, like, the Jerusalem of the future, as if he's just talking about, like, the new earth to come or anything like that. He's talking about a Jerusalem that presently exists, but that is positionally from a completely different place than that than that earthly, flesh-driven place where man was trying to, by his principle of works, carry out the law. He says, the Jerusalem above, it's above all of that, and that's where we're from. And that mother, Sarah, the free woman, is our mother. And then he breaks out into song, quoting Isaiah, when he quotes, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one of the one who has a husband. And so he starts to rejoice over himself. He starts to rejoice over the Galatians. He starts to remind them, like, listen, these prophecies about, about the innumerable uh, nation that was going to, through whom the whole world was going to be blessed, that, that gospel that God preached to Abraham beforehand, the, those people that he was talking about, that was you. You're the slave. You're not the slave. You're the son. You're not the, you're not the one who will not inherit the promise. You're the one who has inherited the promise. And this would land all the more on the minds of the Galatians as they understood that they were not themselves Jews. They were, they were Gentiles like you and me. They had no claim to the promise. They, had, they, they didn't know anything about the law. They hadn't been brought up under it. So to have received the gospel according to the promise and then later received the law, Paul saying this is just like it was with Abraham. He received the promise and then later received the law. And the law did not nullify the promise and neither does the law nullify the promise for you, you Gentiles who received the gospel of free grace first and then the law. Don't put yourself under the law. And so he says of these two branches, 
that the Judaizers marching among them are from the branch from Hagar, who get their righteousness from the law, the branch of slavery, but that we are of our mother Sarah, the branch of freedom, and we get our righteousness through faith and not through this principle of works given at Mount Sinai. I shouldn't have assumed it, but when I keep mentioning Sinai, I'm talking about the place where God handed the commandments to Moses. And this is where Paul's mind is at. F.F. Bruce warned, if you insist on the priority and the inheritance of Abraham's descendants according to the flesh, remember this. Abraham indeed had a son according to the flesh of whom it is expressly stated that he was not to share the inheritance. See, that's what the Judaizers were doing, and that's what they were encouraging the Galatians to do, was to heap their hope upon the inheritance that came from the flesh. Really what the Judaizers were saying is it's not enough to be an Isaac. The better position is to be the Ishmael that you should try to gain for yourself something that could be gained by your efforts and that be gained by your works. But it didn't work for Ishmael, and it didn't work for the Judaizers, and it will not work for you. You simply do not work your way into sonship. You don't bring the promise upon yourself by your labor. By your, by your labor. You don't bring the promises upon yourself by your obedience or by showing your goodness or by being a good slave. It's just not how it works. Slaves are slaves, and they stay slaves. Sons are sons, and they stay sons. And this takes us to Paul's last point, which is where he says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. That's who you are. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. And so he says that, in the, in the story of Abraham, Ishmael would go on to persecute Isaac, and that's how it is now, that the Ishmaelites are going to persecute the children of promise. And so he's, he's likening the Judaizers, the ones who would come in and say, oh no, you need to become a son of Abraham by coming under the law like me, who would heap their chains on you. He says, they're like Ishmael. It continues today. The children of slavery want to have the children of promise. And so he then gives instructions for what to do about that. He says, but what does the scripture say? And he goes back to the story of Ishmael and Isaac. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He says, listen, there are people among you, the legalists, and they would say to you, you're my brother. And they would say to you, there's just something that you're missing. You got to do what I do. You got to be more like me. You got to follow these things which I've been told I need to follow. And they would say, we're brothers, but you can really elevate your status to my, like, like mine by being good, by doing good things, by working hard, by whatever. And I guess you got to kind of fill in the blanks with what this means for you. Like, listen, I, like, some of you, it's not even just about, like, your relationship with God. Like, you start to tell yourself, like, I got to do these things in order to, like, be around Adam. In order to, like, come to GC. In order to, like, come to church on Sunday, I have to have performed my way into that table gathering. 
You know, I've been asked several times, especially from people who knew me before I moved here, why we came and planted a church in a town like Mascuta when, like, Christianity already exists here. And my standard answer is to say that, like, we came to plant a church for teenage Adam, for the person who has known the doctrines of Christianity, who has learned how to play a part, how to walk the walk, how to talk the talk, but who has never been born again, that they might receive the message of freedom, of salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, according to the grace of God alone. That's why we're here. But all around us are people who would have you heap those chains back on. In a culturally Christian context, you're surrounded by people who would call themselves your brother, but are not your brother. They stand condemned before God because their offering to him on the day of judgment is to say, look at my resume. And they will not appeal to the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf. They will say, look to my works. I was good. I was good. That is not your brother. That's your mission field. And that's why we're here. But the mission field may be in this room. And I want to know, if the Lord is speaking to you and saying, I'm the mission field, I'm not the brother, then today may be your day to kick off those chains and to cling to Christ alone for your salvation. And if that is you, then the charge given to you, son, is not to fraternize with the slave, the legalist, as if you two are one. It is to preach the gospel again and again to him. Abraham asked God if he would allow for the inheritance to fall upon Ishmael, and God said no. Ishmael never did receive it. God still blessed Hagar and Ishmael in many different ways, but he never did cause the promises that he made through the son of promise to transfer over to Ishmael, the son produced by works of the flesh, because God was writing a story that could not be moved along by the efforts of man. It was impossible for the son of promise to be Ishmael. It had to be the son that God provided. And ultimately what, what Jesus or what Paul, what Paul has shown us in this book is that the true son of inheritance was Jesus. It was all pointing to him. It's through him that all the nations would be blessed. It's through him that a people who were not his people can become his people. So if you, like me, are in here this morning having taken your laundry and to grab a permanent marker and written God's name on the tag and put it on and started hanging out with God's kids so that you can look like you're one of the children, but you don't know the father. And you're wearing the jersey, but you've not been born again. Only you can really know. And that is a slavery that you can't win. Luther said it like this, those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by the righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with their great effort for they are trying, contrary to the will of God, to achieve by their own works what God will grant to believers by sheer grace for Christ's sake. You're you're appealing to a means which God did not provide to become his son, and it will never work for you. I was reading a sermon that Charles Spurgeon wrote on Genesis 
1856, and he was talking about Hagar and Sarah. He said it like this. Hagar never was a free woman, and Sarah never was a slave. So, beloved, the covenant of works never was free, and none of her children ever were. All those who trust in works never are free and never can be, even could they be perfect in good works. Even if they have no sin, still they are bond slaves, for when we have done all that we ought to have done, God is not our debtor. We are debtors still to him and still remain as bond slaves. If I could keep all God's law, I should have no right to favor, for I should have done no more than was my duty and be a bond slave still. The law is the most rigorous master in the world. No wise man would love its service, for after all you've done, the law never gives you a thank you for it, but goes, go on, sir, go on. The poor sinner trying to be saved by law is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further but only being whipped continually. Yea, the faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he is tired, so much the worse for him. The better legalist a man is, the more sure he is of being damned. The more holy a man is, if he trusts to his works, the more he may rest assured of his own final rejection and eternal portion with Pharisees. Hagar was a slave Ishmael, moral and good as he was, was nothing but a slave and never could be more. Not all the works he ever rendered to his father could make him the freeborn son. The truth is, is we are born into the flesh slaves. And no amount of good work as slaves makes you not a slave, it just makes you a good slave. To become a freeborn son, Jesus said, you must be born again. And to be born again, you must be united with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by faith alone. And this is a work of the Spirit that none may boast. So my question to you is, have you been born again? And if you have, then why, when your brother says, brother, or when, when somebody who claims to be your brother says, brother, put on my chains, wear my chains with me, would you say, thank you, brother, for teaching me? Rather than saying, no, sir, if you would be my brother, you put on my robes of white. Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. Mercy's door, you are surrounded by people who need this gospel message. People who would say, I've heard it, I get it, I mentally ascend to it. But when you ask them, have you been born again? Deer in headlights. No idea what that means. Well, I'm a good person. That's what makes me a Christian. I'm a good person. Say, yeah, ma'am, you're a good slave. And I want you to know freedom. The gospel is a gospel of faith alone in Christ alone, according to his grace alone. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes. All together, will you sing with me? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow 
that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Will you pray with me?